Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. Three, two, one, and we're live. Welcome to episode 24, folks, of the Realtors Podcast with my friend Simon Mainwaring, the CEO of We First, and me, your host, Kevin Edwards. We've got a good one in store for you today out there in uh, listener land, but first, Simon, thanks for coming on the show, my man. You are so welcome, and thanks for including me, and thanks for those uh, tuning in. Thanks for taking the time. Absolutely. Well, weren't you weren't you just at a Purpose by Profit out in L.A.? Yeah, I mean, we're out in L.A. I'm in Culver City, L.A. Actually, L.A.'s been home now for 16 years, and my wife and I are Australian, but oh. we've got two American kids now, and um, we're a U.S. citizen, so here we are. We're part of the team. There you go. And, and now this, uh, not concert, but this conference that you're at, yep. Purpose by Profit, what's it about? It's all about this idea um, about doing away with this false separation between the idea of purpose and profit. That, you know, a business typically has to make money and, you know, do its fiduciary duty to its shareholders. And then if it's got a bit of money left over at the end, it could do some good. And they're separated in the past. This conference is all really about how they come together, that they're two sides of the same coin, that by doing good, you really can do well. And it's kind of unique because you know, it's true outright, it's true as an abstract idea, but it's actually true in practice because mm. young people today want to see companies do good. The more they do good, the more goodwill a company has. People want to work for companies that are doing good. And so we're at a moment in time where it's a real business driver. So it's exciting to not just understand why, but to really see how to do it. That's what's great about it. Well, you know, before we get in the purpose of this podcast, you know, let's Let's do a little briefing on what We First is. Now, We First, um, which you're the CEO of, is a creative consultancy that builds purpose-driven brands. Yep. Now, explain to our audience what that means. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I spent 18 years as an ad guy in Australia, London, and all over the U.S., and I, I understood the power of storytelling. And I really got a sense, I worked on Nike for four years up at their ad agency, Wyden and Kennedy, and I got a sense of how you can create these cultural movements. And what happened in 2000, 2007 and 2008 was that I, I saw the global economic meltdown and I thought, wow, this is really unfair on a lot of people. And as everyone was talking about how to solve for this, you know, there was just a real awareness in my mind, well, what if business played a bigger role? Because up till that point, we've forgotten about it now, but up till that point, Business was really off the hook, you know, it wasn't responsible in any way. It really got a sort of, you know, a pass out in terms of social responsibility. And so, you know, We First was born on the strength of a book I wrote to answer a challenge that Bill Gates gave at the World Economic Forum, where he said, listen, the global economic meltdown has happened. We need the private sector to play a bigger role in social change. What are we going to do? We need creative capitalism, he said. And so I wrote this book about it, and then the, the company was born of that. And it really is this idea of what if we took the power of storytelling inside a company and outside a company, in and around the good work that a company is doing, so that it would drive growth. And as a function of that growth, it would allow the company to grow more, 
have more impact and so on, you unlock that virtuous cycle. And I have to admit, back in 2007, 2008, people would ruffle my hair and say, that's so cute. It's never going to happen. Never going to happen. You are like delusional. And here we are, sadly, like 10 years later going, okay, climate change, plastic in the ocean, loss of biodiversity. We are in so much trouble. What were you saying again? So here we are. Well, there you have it. And, and now, is that the book, uh, We First, that you wrote? Yeah, it was We First was the title of the book, uh, you know, how brands and consumers use social media to build a better world. And it really, it's funny, you know, people look at books and authors and think, well, oh, isn't that great that they put that out there? But for me, it was really a selfish exercise in the sense that I was trying to work out what I cared about. Sure, yeah. Up to that point, you know, I'd been a self-important ad guy. I traveled around the world trying to win shiny statues at can ad festivals and things like that. But I wasn't happy. I was a dad with two young kids and my wife and I had moved to LA and, and I was wandering around sort of living all these versions of success and in inverted commas and wondering why I wasn't happy. And ultimately, I think when I look back, it was, I, I was looking for some meaning in what I did. And only when I put my skill set or the power of storytelling in service of social change through the lens of business, did I stop worrying about that? And I felt much, much better about how I spent my time. Well, you know, Simon, it's, it's funny. I, I was literally talking to somebody Sunday night and, and t- um, interviewing them about um, that halftime that they reach, whether they're a business man or woman. It's a lot of these people, including our founder, they get Brian. to this point in their life, and that's what I'm trying to avoid. And <laughs> I get to this point in their life, and they yeah. go, what am I really doing with my life? You know, how can I create an impact with all the knowledge that I have? Yeah. Um, and so that's really fascinating. But I want to undersell your book. I mean, it, it's a testament for how purpose is done. I mean, uh, let's see, top five marketing book, strategy plus business, named it the best business marketing book of the year. And 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 now, Simon, you're about to be featured in the best uh, magazine of 2019, baby, really uh, magazine. I, no, it's, it, you know what? It sounds, it sounds uh, like, you know, a lot of people say these sorts of things, but it really is on the strength of so much support from not only my team here at We First, but a lot of other people have been working this area for some time. None of us achieve any success or get recognition on the strength of that success without the support of others. And I feel enormously grateful. I mean, I'll give you a clear example of this. You know, when the book was about to come out, three weeks before the book came out, I was exhausted because I was a freelancer. I was writing at night for three years. And I, and I was asked to do a TEDx talk in San Francisco. And at the time, TEDx's were new and San Francisco was a big stage of 1,500 people. Anyway, I didn't know. I thought to myself, what am I going to say on this stage that's going to make a difference? Because what am I really trying to do? Because it's a book about sustainable capitalism or whatever else. And anyway, I reached out to a few friends and I decided to kind of distill down this 300-page book into a short video, a three-minute video. They all volunteered their services for free because they cared about the same thing. And on the strength of that video, which was shared over 40,000 times within 24 hours after the video and so on, that led to the book becoming New York Times bestseller and all these sorts of things, which has only possible because of the contribution and passion and support of people who care about the same things. And if I tell you one thing about this whole 10-year journey for me is when you really get some alignment between who you are as a person and what you're doing on a daily basis, and you kind of get private in public and share what you care about, people self-determine themselves and they align around you and work with you, and things are possible that you could never achieve on your own. 
And so often purpose is this lofty thing that we're all supposed to aspire to. I tell you, it's this visceral daily full contact sport where people align around you and look after you and collaborate with you in ways you can never imagine. And there's huge personal and professional benefits when you when you really commit to it. Yeah, exactly, Simon. That's exactly what we're finding here at Real Leaders. You know, I was speaking with uh, Nick Ingersoll, the yeah. co-founder and CMO of Barnana, um, yeah. the company that uh, upcycles the 20% bananas that are wasted. And he said, right. you know, the market is rewarding these companies that are doing well by doing good. Yeah. And, and they're working together. And, and just like you said, we want to collab with you. And so what we're doing, uh, Simon, is for anyone, any lucky listeners today, they can go online and get 50% off a Real Leaders subscription, print or digital, if they use yeah. the code word mainwaring 50 code word mainwaring 50 at real leaders.com slash you know what i'm 51 years old it almost made so much sense <laughs> mainwaring 50 there you go 50 50 off maybe we change it to 51 you know <laughs> no. in there. I, don't know. I don't want to rock the boat you know what i'm saying <laughs> well you know let's 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 jump to this article because you know it, we're going to give people a sneak uh, a sneak peek of kind of what you wrote um, as being a member of the Real Leaders 100 Top Impact Companies of 2019. Um, and in that article, it's titled, Three Ways to Unlock Purpose in Your Business. And the first uh, way you can unlock purpose in your business, you mentioned the productivity engine. So I'm yeah, going to ask I mean, you, how can, companies, uh, purpose, how can a company's purpose unlock employee productivity? Yeah, and then I'll back up for, and give some context for that. You know, a lot of people see purpose as this aspirational do-good thing. Mm. But, you know, we're a consulting firm and we work, our clients include everyone from Tom's to Virgin to Timberland to Seventh Generation to Cliff Bar and SAP. And everything we do and everything we, I write about is informed by doing this for real, like on a daily basis. And one of the epiphanies over the last couple of years especially has been there's a shift away from hey, we need to do more good and less bad and we need to mitigate risk and build our reputation through purpose to, wait a second, purpose is an innovation driver. Purpose is a growth driver. And one of the real powerful ways it's a growth driver is through employee productivity. And I'll explain on several levels. Firstly, we're inside the C-suite of many, many corporations that people know. And the one common complaint we hear is the talent wars. How do we attract the talent we want? How do we keep those ta that talent? You know, if you look at the latest Gallup figures, you know, only 27% of uh, US employees are fully engaged. How many other areas of your business do you allow to be optimized as low as 27%? And yet your payroll is probably the biggest line item on your P&L. So if your purpose can make people happier, more satisfied, more productive, they'll stay longer, they'll recommend you to other people, that is a real bottom line driver for business growth. And so, you know, instead of thinking about it as this do good, sort of lofty, aspirational, nice to have, not must have thing, think about it as an employee engine, a productivity engine inside your company. So that's that's the first one. Yeah, you know, it, and it's so cool getting the opportunity to be a, a podcast host for this publication because I get to speak to people that are literally telling me the exact same thing of what you're telling right. me right now. Yep. And a, a similar example, now it's not spot on, but a similar example I thought of uh, for this is we had on episode 17 is Joanna Muschkowska-McCumber, Muschkowska-McCumber, Muschkowska right. hard name. Uh, 
but she is the executive director of uh, the LOI Labs, the League of okay. Innovators Labs. And they are an uh, incubator starter for entrepreneurs and social enterprises, as well as enterprises. Um, but what she was telling me in the last year or so, what she's saying is 60% of the entrepreneurs that come in are gearing towards social impact right. because they want, because they can't find a company that fits their values. Mm-hmm. The main reason. So just to add to that point, you know, it, yeah, and, seeing this you know, I've got two daughters, you know, 19 and a 16 year old. And my direct experience bears out what I hear in a lot of research, which is young people are much more predisposed to work or to be entrepreneurial now to start their own thing. They don't want to work in big institutions. So mm-hmm. if you're a, high growth, mid-sized, large company, how on earth are you going to attract the talent if you can't explain very clearly what you stand for and how that aligns with that person's you know, purpose or what they care about so that they can see working with you as a way for them to achieve the success they want. Mm-hmm. So you know, we could go on and on, but really purpose is about building culture. It's about employee productivity and it's about protecting the institutional knowledge inside, that's inside every one of your employees in your company and saving you the extra cost of constantly having to rehire when you lose people. Mm. Well, the second point, and you, 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 know, you definitely touched on this already, leadership ambition. Yeah. Um, how do you articulate your company's purpose to your yeah. employees in the supply chain? Well, you know, it's really interesting as compared to what people might think with leadership you know you've got ceos male or female at the top of these companies and everyone's got it all sorted out and look how successful they are the truth is in our direct experience they're paralyzed by fear they don't know where to go ahead which way you know is ahead they're constantly being challenged by disruption by technology competitors with low barriers to entry and so on and so the leadership teams of companies of all sizes are really scrambling to make sense of where's some solid ground. Now, in the absence of purpose, you can kind of double down on your product and a race to the bottom and try and make it cheaper. You can try and copy your competitors and then let them dictate what you're supposed to do. Or you can look at it and say, you know what? We're going to be true to ourselves. We're going to define our purpose. It's going to be the only compass that we have in this sea of constant change. And when you realize that how powerful that is, suddenly you actually have a whole new mandate as leadership. You go, you know what? I understand what our competitors are doing, but I'm, re- I'm not going to let that dictate what we do. I'm going to self-determine our future in service of our purpose. And if you think of just in your mind's eye of top companies out there that people admire and respect, whether it's Patagonia or Nike or Airbnb or whoever it might be or Patagonia, you know, these companies know who they are. And it's just like us as human beings. If you know who you are, you make decisions about what to do, but also decisions about what not to do. If you're very unsure, you try lots of things and there's a lot of wasted energy. So I see the huge value in purpose, not just in terms of, you know, it's how meaningful it is to employees and consumers, but at a leadership level, let it dictate the choices you make. Because we are now in a fluid state. We are in a world of constant disruption and change. So what are you going to hold on to? Hold on to your purpose. Well, it's interesting. I'm just, just going to bring that back to Barnana. I mean, they're a great example of this yeah. uh, in terms of the supply chain, too. The banana farmers in Brazil love these guys because they're upcycling their, barna- uh, their bananas. And their yeah. employees love working for the company because they're yeah. doing good in the world. And it's just this yeah. all, all, you know, oh, it was all around uh, positive uh, effect and impact that's having 
on the company and on uh, sales as well. So, and in the other way too, you know, it would affect which suppliers you work with. Like we do a lot of work with brands in the fashion industry. And if you've got bad dyes or chemicals that hurt the environment, you're not going to work with that supplier. If you've got factories who treat their operators poorly, you're not going to work with that supplier. So if you work with the right people and those people will like working with you because of what you stand for, that's what these expressions like shared values mean. They're not just these strategy terms out there. It's actually, you know, the meat and potatoes of human relatedness that creates a brand that actually stands for something that makes people want to buy it. You know, Simon, I don't think anyone knows this, but on, on at first glance, you take a look at this magazine. You yeah. Know, it's just like a normal magazine. But at second glance, you realize, oh, it's 100% biodegradable. Wow. Right? That's so, pretty so we're, cool. we're trying to manage that impact as well here, really. No, I don't think to. we're doing a good job telling that story either. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Your third point about... Yeah how you can unlock purpose in your business. And you mentioned it once already, innovation driver. How can purpose innovate new ways to demonstrate like your company's intent? Much value can be unlocked through purpose. What I mean by that is they typically reserve, they think of purpose and they go, well, that applies to our comms, our communications department, and maybe our CSR, our corporate social responsibility. It's the optics and the do-good side of the business. That's not true. Purpose, if you understand the definition as why you exist as a company, should apply to all departments, your supply chain, as you mentioned, HR and culture building, products and product innovation, yes, your marketing, and yes, your community impact work. When you look at it through that comprehensive lens and it becomes a filter on all that you do, you go, well, wait a second, How do, who should we work with as a supplier? What materials should we use? What new suppliers or materials or ideas could we use that double down on our values? Mm. How should we onboard people into our company? How should we build a culture of purpose? How do we get our employees out there to make a difference? What products do we make? How do we make them? How do we, what innovations do we invest in? Oh, and how do we market our products and, and what's our community give back? So in every one of these departments, cross-department, cross-functional, you look at your purpose and go, how can I use this as an active filter on the choices we make? And when you do that, not only are you creating integrity across your entire company in terms of walking your talk, so if, some, if you say something out in the marketplace, this is what we stand for, you can survive the scrutiny of, well, is that true? But it it does something very, very powerful as well, which is it creates all these different stories that are waiting to be told inside your company. Let's tell the story of your supply chain. Let's tell the story of your employees. Yes, let's tell the story of your products and so on and so on. And th that really just popped right in my head and I was thinking about this uh, topic. When you said yeah. onboarding your employees, yeah. um, Postmates. Uh, right. In the gig economy that's going right now, on right now, people can go on their mobile phones, sign up to be an Uber driver, Lyft driver, or Postmates driver, and start delivering food. Now, what Postmates right. has done is something uh, pretty pretty cool. Um, they have a thing called Postmates Labs, and they go in and they hire these drivers to go pick up food and recycle it from it being wasted. And there's all these stories that are going on behind the purpose of Postmates Right. Um, of how their company is being seen um, in a positive image, whereas another competitor like, I don't want to say names, GoPuff, might not be doing something like that. Um, right. And, you know, 
paying for their college tuition, paying their loans off, um, and, and hopping right. on after their job and, and making some extra money on the side. It's, it's a really cool story. It's all yeah. positive branding. Now this herein lies the issue that I have sometimes. And, and, you know, being young is just hard to distinguish a company that's either greenwashing from a company that really has these core principles. I mean, where do you draw the line? Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, firstly, the great news is, is that the BS radar of consumers and customers out there is so highly attuned now that if you're not caught out immediately, you'll be caught out over time. I mean, the media and so yeah. many consumers and customers make it their daily business of calling out brands. Oh, yeah. And the second thing that people forget about is if you think about all the stories where brands or leadership have been exposed in social media and the press over the last few years, half the time it's the employees that expose them. So there's, there's nowhere you can bury this stuff. If you're saying one thing and doing another, you get caught. I mean, if you look at what happened with Wells Fargo and, you know, the false accounts they were setting up or the VW emissions scandal and, and how it was a random sort of um, test by, you know, some of the EPA folks that really just didn't make sense that, that, that tripped up there. You know, there are so many tripwires out there for a brand that, to do something disingenuously is almost worse than doing nothing at all these days. Mm. If you're not going to do it authentically, don't bother. You know, That's an interesting point because I had a friend that got fired. And the right. first thing he did was um, go on to Twitter and tweet about his boss and tweet about yeah. the company culture there. And I mean, you look at it. Yeah. You go online the glass door. You try to uh, get a job there. Good luck uh, for that yeah. company. I mean, it can, it can tear these businesses down. It's crazy what media can do nowadays. Yep. And look at the dynamic in the shared economy with, you know, Airbnb or Uber and Lyft. It's two sides to the table. The driver rates you and you rate the driver. With Airbnb, the host rates you and you rate the host. This is a two-way dynamic now. So, but... But back really to that question, like wh where do you draw that line between greenwashing and a company that has these purposeful core principles? Yeah, it's a good question because it's not black or white. There are yeah. shades of gray. Let me explain what I mean. If you're doing it authentically, that's fantastic. And, you, and even then, there's a high bar that you've got to show measurable impact because just saying you're doing good or creating the optics is not enough now. You actually have to be able to point to it and quantify it and, and so on. That said, it's hard to do certain things. Like, how do you measure changes in self-esteem in young women? You know, these are intangibles. That right. there's some challenges there. <clears throat> then you've got that second group that are doing the right thing or saying the right thing, but they they don't really mean it. Um, in my personal opinion, I'll take it any way I can get it. And what I mean by that is, if a company is committing to doing good only because others are doing it, because they feel they should, when they don't really want to, or the leadership don't really believe it. I would rather than have the experience of doing it to see how they feel themselves or creating the opportunity for them to getting a bone, you know, a knock-on effect or a benefit for doing that. I'll take it however we can get it because it's better than them doing nothing. Then you've got that next group of people who are doing it or saying they're doing it, but aren't doing it at all or are lying about it or whatever else. And I have great trust in the self-correcting uh, dynamic in the marketplace where people get called out. And so, you know, I think we're also at a, so that, that's at one spectrum. The only other thing I'd say, it's coming up behind us very quickly, is sadly the tragic reality of the world we now find ourselves in today, where the compounding global crises of 
how we polluted our oceans, how we polluted our air, climate change, and all the consequences of that. It doesn't matter how disinterested, cynical, disbelieving you are. Even if you don't care about it, even if you ignore the fact that your consumers care about this, it's going to affect your supply chain. If you can't get access to clean water to make the fabric that makes your t-shirts, or if you can't get the, you know, the people living on the land can't survive that provide the raw materials to make your product, it's going to have impact to you. So either at the back end in your supply chain or at the front end with your consumer, you're going to start feeling the effects of humanity's role, the role of business in the quality of life we all lead. And so one way or another, the context of the role of business and the need to be purposeful will show up and you'll feel the pain. I think we're starting to see the beginning of that right now. I think there's a lot of people with their head in the sand soon, but when it compromises the experience of their business and so on, they're going to be like, wait a second, we're going to change what we're doing. I mean, as you said, you started in 2007 and and look where we are now. Um, yeah. It's crazy. And the fact that someone doesn't want to believe in something that 99% of scientists agree on is just beyond me. But, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's for another conversation. Um, you're, you're talking about environmental changes and people are, your, your consumers are recognizing this. My gen, I'm 23. My generation really recognizes this. And the generation after me, Gen Z, really, really recognizes what's going sure. on in the world right now. Um, for a young entrepreneur that's about to start a business, what would be your one piece of advice to him, him or her? Him or her. You know, it's a great question and, and one that I've thought about a lot. Um, there's a couple of pieces I'd say. Firstly, just know that you're enough. You know, there's a lot of people that beat up this premium on youth that's now, you know, oh, you're a millennial, you're a Gen Z. That's amazing, as if it's a qualification. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that if you have an idea, if you have a passion to make a difference, don't suffer the same sort of insecurity that I and I think other people have suffered, which is, oh, I can't do it till I'm older or, you know, I don't, I'm not qualified to lean into what I care about. You know, it took me a long time and I spent a long time doing other things before I believed in myself enough to really commit and put my shoulder behind what I cared about. So know that you're enough. The second thing is, you know, in hindsight, it may look like, you know, we first, yay, the company's doing great and we're on this list and so on and the book did well. But it, none of it was premeditated and it was all accidental. And then what happened with me was, you know, I got very disillusioned with having had the cool job on working on Nike, having had a big job running Motorola worldwide as their worldwide creative director at Ogilvy. And, I, and my big thing was I really wasn't happy and I didn't know why. I was in my late 30s with two young children here in Los Angeles wondering, oh my God, why am I not happy? And then something happened, which was I walked into my kitchen in Los Angeles and there was an answering machine on the counter, which tells you how old I, how long ago it was. And there was five messages and it was from my mom, my mom, my sister, my mom, and they became increasingly upset. And the last message was, Simon, dad died. He was when you wake up. Mm. And those two words, wake up, really struck me because I hadn't seen my dad for five years because I was running around being a, yeah. a fancy pants ad guy. And all, I only share that story in the context of as professionally, you know, disillusioned. And then I became personally destabilized. And only when those both things happened at once did I suspend control, did I let go, did I get out of my own way sufficiently for the first time ever 
to sort of just let whatever was meant to be show up. Mm. And so I share that only in the context of if you're a young person, um, my experience of life was you have these ideas of what you're supposed to be or what you're supposed to do or what success looks like. And I had to have that shocking experience to really get out of my own way. Know that you are enough. Get out of your own way. Lead with your passion. Be smart. You know, don't kind of, you know, bet the farm and all these different things. You know, you've got to be able to kind of dovetail into what you want to do in an entrepreneurial sense and so on. But this is a moment in time where we need young people to really commit to what they believe in and to play the positive roles that only they can because you understand all this stuff better than we do, and all the technology, where it's going, how, how to use it and so on. We need you. And so don't let these barriers that older folks like myself might have suffered where you don't believe in yourself early enough or you don't get out of your own way. Just really um, trust what shows up inside of you. Put your passion into that. Be smart about how you commit towards it. Know that there's going to be ups and downs. But when you do it, you will find this powerful alignment between who you are and what you do on a daily basis. And that's when everything, the world is your oyster. Everything opens up for you. Well, Simon, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, you know, it's inspirational for me and you know, everyone else listening out there. You hear that, people? You hear that, uh, young entrepreneurs, young millennials? Yeah, I wish I, I wish I knew some of this stuff earlier on. But, I mean, it's hard to know. I don't know how you're, like, you're 23, I'm 51. I don't know how on earth you know how to navigate things these days. I mean, there's so much change. It's so fluid. We used to have fixed state items. You know, you did this job, that job, this career, this hierarchy. It's just fluid now. It's like a lava lamp constantly. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's, I want to say podcasting is one of my 20 jobs I've got going on. So right? <laughs> we're keeping at it. Everything's a side hustle. It's, you're like, it's all a side hustle. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now... Simon, I know you said you made this change for yourself, but was you know is this also for your kids and, and generations yeah. beyond beyond them? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it. I think the the global economic meltdown in two thousand seven really woke me up to the knock on effect between investment banking and Main Street and healthcare and homes and hopes, and then Iceland and Greece and the Gulf states and all around the world. That connective tissue became very very clear to me in a sort of abstract macroeconomic sense. But I also think having kids and at some point you um, having children, whether it's a lack of sleep or whatever else, it forces you to realize that you, you're really an equal parts of service to somebody else, if, if not more so. Your love for them is such that you really reframe your life and your sense of identity around how you can best support somebody else rather than yourself in isolation. And um, so I think... I did have young children at that point, and then to see that play out all around the world, my big response was, wait a second, this just isn't fair. You know, it's just not fair. It's not right. There's a smarter way to do it. The elephant in the room is business. They've been given a free pass for so long, but not just getting rid of that free pass. What could we achieve if we actually work together and drove growth on the strength of the impact that we have, the positive impact that we have? And this is only possible when the connective tissue of social media created a dialogue between brands and consumers to hold them accountable, because up till then it had been a monologue. And so, you know, the book I wrote, We First, was all really just about going, well, what happens to business and marketing when it's a two-way street? And right. when I started writing this in 2008 and President Obama was just getting elected and there's a time of great optimism, you know, this was a new idea. 
I mean, Facebook hadn't even really had traction. Um, so, you know, interesting to see how it's all played out. It really is. Well, I'm excited going forward. And I think it'd really benefit people listening, you know, if they could learn more about um, We First and how to get more information. I know you do webinars and you do courses. Um, yeah. You know, any last words uh, from Simon Main Warning about where they can learn more? Yeah, I mean, on the consulting side, you can check out what we do at wefirstbranding.com. And we help companies define what to say, how to say it, and then how to bring it to life inside their company and outside. So that's wefirstbranding.com. But part of our mission, our big mission is to help business become a force for good. And, you know, not everyone can afford this, you know, expensive or, you know, high-end consulting with large, large brands do. So we wanted to make our skill set and our insights and our expertise, having worked with all these amazing big brands, available to people who are just starting out. And so we launched this courseware at wefirstworks.com, wefirstworks.com, which there's two courses there. One is how to define your personal purpose so you know what, what role you're going to play in life to find the fulfillment you want, to have, live a life of significance. Mm-hmm. And there's another course there, how to define your company purpose. And it's not just us on there. You get all our expertise, but Rick Ridgway, who's the head of environmental initiatives of Patagonia, is part of the training. Um, Jordan, who used to be the head of strategy at Tom's, is part of the training. It goes on and on. So we really pulled a lot of our assets and insights so you can be starting out and still do a course that gives you all that expertise. Why? Because you are the guys that are going to shape the future and you need all the support that you can get. So check out wefirstworks.com if you're interested in courses. Well, you heard it here first. Simon, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm excited about the type of work that we can do together to make this world a better place. And uh, for Simon Mainwaring, who's 51, I'm Kevin Edwards, who's 23. And folks, Mm -hmm. don't forget... Go online, lucky listeners. Go online today to real-leaders.com slash shop and pick up your annual digital or print subscription with Simon's story in it come January. The coupon code, again, is mainwearing50, not 51, mainwearing50. Thank you, thank you. And everyone, you really should get realleaders.com. It's full of best practices and examples of how to do this in a way that's going to drive your growth. It's all there, you know, all that intelligence and insight and learning is what will drive your success. So I, I absolutely champion real leaders. Appreciate that, Simon. Simon's one of the 100 top impact companies coming out again in January 22nd in newsstands all around the United States. Simon, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm going to have you stick around a little bit for afterwards. Um, But to everyone listening, appreciate your time today and always keep it real. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, everyone.